depends on the form of the glass. It is the responsibility of a glass to convey the wine's messages in the best manner to the human senses. Thomas Matthews, the executive editor of Wine Spectator magazine, said, Everybody who ventures into a Riedel tasting starts as a skeptic. I did. The skepticism doesn't last long. Robert Parker Jr., the king of wine reviewers, said, The finest glasses for both technical and hedonistic purposes are those made by Riedel. The effect of these glasses on fine wine is profound. I cannot emphasize enough what a difference they make. Parker and Matthews and hundreds of other wine luminaries are now believers, and as a result, they are Riedel's best word-of-mouth marketers. Millions of wine drinkers around the world have been persuaded that a $200 bottle of wine or a cheap bottle of two-buck chuck tastes better when served in the proper Riedel glass. Tests done in Europe and the United States have shown that wine experts have no trouble discovering just how much better wine tastes in the correct glass. Presented with the same wine in both an ordinary kitchen glass and the proper Riedel glass, they rarely fail to find that the expensive glass delivers a far better experience. This is a breakthrough. A $5 or $20 or a $500 bottle of wine can be radically improved by using a relatively inexpensive and reusable wine glass. And yet, when the proper tests are done scientifically, double-blind tests that eliminate any chance that the subject would know the shape of the glass, there is absolutely zero detectable difference between glasses. A $1 glass and a $20 glass deliver precisely the same impact on the wine. None. So what's going on? Why do wine experts insist that the wine tastes better in a Riedel glass at the same time that scientists can easily prove that it doesn't? The flaw in the experiment, as outlined by Daniel Zwerdling in Gourmet Magazine, is that the reason the wine tastes better is that people believe it should. This makes sense, of course. Taste is subjective. If you think the pancakes at the IHOP taste better, then they do, because you want them to. Riedel sells millions of dollars worth of glasses every year. He sells glasses to intelligent, well-off wine lovers who then proceed to enjoy their wine more than they ever did before. Marketing, apparently, makes wine taste better. Marketing, in the form of an expensive glass and the story that goes with it, has more impact on the taste of wine than oak casks or fancy corks or the rain in June. George Riedel makes your wine taste better by telling you a story. Some of my best friends are liars. Arthur Riolo is a world-class storyteller. Arthur sells real estate in my little town north of New York City. He sells a lot of real estate, more than all his competitors combined. That's because Arthur doesn't sell anything. Anyone can tell you the specs of a house or talk to you about the taxes, but he doesn't. Instead, Arthur does something very different. He takes you and your spouse for a drive. You drive up and down the hills of a neighborhood as he points out house after house, houses that aren't even for sale. He tells you who lives in that house and what they do and how they found the house and the name of their dog and what their kids are up to and how much they paid. He tells you a story about the different issues in town the long-simmering rivalries between neighborhoods and the evolution and imminent demise of the Mother's Club. Then, and only then, does Arthur show you a house. It might be because of Arthur's antique pickup truck 
or the fact that everyone in town knows him, or the obvious pleasure he gets from the community, but sooner or later you'll buy a house from Arthur. And not just because it's a good house, because it's a good story. Bonnie Siegler and Emily Oberman tell stories too. They are graphic designers in the toughest market in the world, New York City, and they claim their success is accidental. Bonnie and Emily run Number 17, a firm with clients like NBC, Sex in the City, and the Mercer Hotel. Everything about their firm, their site, their people, their office, and their personalities tells a story. It's the same story. It's consistent. It's a story about two very funny and charismatic women who do iconoclastic work that's not for everyone. Their website is exactly one page long, and some people think it has a typo on it. Their office is hidden behind a nondescript door in a nondescript building on an oddball corner of New York. But once the door opens, visitors are overwhelmed by fun, nostalgia, quirkiness, and raw energy. Nobody buys pure design from number 17. They buy the way the process makes them feel. So what do real estate, graphic design, and wine glasses have in common? Not a lot. Not price point or frequency of purchase or advertising channels or even consumer sales. The only thing they have in common is that no one buys facts. They buy a story. Wants and Needs Does it really matter that the $80,000 Porsche Cayenne and the $36,000 VW Touareg are virtually the same vehicle made in the same factory? Or that your new laptop is not measurably faster in actual use than the one it replaced? Why do consumers pay extra for eggs marketed as being antibiotic-free when all egg-laying chickens are raised without antibiotics, even the kind of chickens that lay cheap eggs? The facts are irrelevant. In the short run, it doesn't matter one bit whether something is actually better or faster or more efficient. What matters is what the consumer believes. A long time ago, there was money to be made in selling people a commodity. Making your product or service better and cheaper was a sure path to growth and profitability. Today, of course, the rules are different. Plenty of people can make something cheaper than you can, and offering a product or service that is measurably better for the same money is a hard edge to sustain. Marketers profit because consumers buy what they want, not what they need. Needs are practical and objective. Wants are irrational and subjective. And no matter what you sell, and whether you sell it to businesses or consumers, the path to profitable growth is in satisfying wants, not needs. Of course, your product must really satisfy those wants, not just pretend to. Can Pumas really change your life? In this program, I will explain why people lie to themselves and how necessary stories are to deal with the deluge of information all consumers face every day. People believe stories because they are compelling. We lie to ourselves about what we're about to buy. Consumers covet things that they will believe will save them time or make them prettier or richer. And consumers know their own hot buttons better than any marketer can. So the consumer tells herself a story an involved tale that explains how this new purchase will surely answer her deepest needs. An hour ago, I watched this story transform the face of Stephanie, a physical therapist who should know better. Stephanie was about to buy a pair of limited edition sneakers from Puma, $125 for the pair, about what she earns after tax, after a long day 
of hard work. Was Stephanie thinking about support or soul material or the durability of the uppers? Of course not. She was imagining how she'd look when she put them on. She was visualizing her dramatically improved life once other people saw how cool she was. She was embracing the idea that she was a grown-up, a professional who could buy a ridiculously priced pair of sneakers if she wanted to. In other words, she was busy lying to herself, telling herself a story. The way Stephanie felt when she bought the Pumas was the product, not the sneakers made for $3 in China. She could have bought adequate footwear for a fraction of what the Pumas cost. What the marketers sold her was a story, a story that made her feel special. Stories, not ideas, not features, not benefits, are what spread from person to person. Make no mistake, this was not an accident. Puma works hard to tell a story. It's a story about hipness and belonging and fashion, and it has built its entire business around the ability to tell this story. Telling a great story. Truly great stories succeed because they are able to capture the imagination of large or important audiences. A great story is true. Not true because it's factual, but true because it's consistent and authentic. Consumers are too good at sniffing out inconsistencies for a marketer to get away with a story that's just slapped on. When the Longaberger Corporation built its headquarters to look like a giant basket, and I'm looking at it right now, it does look like a giant eight-story tall picnic basket, it was living its obsession with the product, a key part of its story. Great stories make a promise. They promise fun or money.